we begin 2024, I'd like to share a message with you from Daniel chapter 1, the, the book of Daniel chapter 1. I'll invite you to turn there with me, if you would, uh, in your Bible. I invite you to stand as we receive this word together. I'm going to read the entire chapter, so uh, hunker in. We're going to hear God's word, and if you know, it, it's good to read God's word. It's good to have a good portion because if if I don't say anything, at least you'll have God's word before you. So let's let's listen to the word of the Lord today. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashphataz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he look you why should he see you looking worse than the other men young men your age? What was that? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please tell your servants for 10 days, give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding and all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of this time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service, and every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. May God add his blessing to that word. You can be seated. Well, this morning we are beginning a short series on the early chapters, the early four 
chapters of the book of Daniel. Now, maybe some of you grew up in Sunday school and you remember the flannel graphs of the stories of Daniel, you know, with Daniel in the lion's den. Who could, who could forget that? Or, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. We remember perhaps those great stories, but, but I want to do a, a, a deeper dive into, sink our teeth into some of these stories and really try to comprehend what it's like when when we as the people of God live in a culture that is so anti what we believe and what we believe to be true. How do we react to a culture that is so different from ours? On my recent trip to Malawi, when you're sitting on a plane for hours and hours, you had a lot of you have a lot of time to think. I was hoping to be able to sleep on the plane from Washington to Ethiopia, but honestly, uh, sleep came difficult to me, and so I did have a lot of time to think about a lot of things. And, and, and at one point, I found myself thinking about the mystery of flight. And, and I wondered, you know, who is flying this plane? I, 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 put my, I put my trust in this person that I've never met. I've never even seen him or her. And so we're going to be up in the air. We're there for 12 hours. And I'm wondering, does the pilot get tired? Do they, do they take a nap? What happens when they're tired? You know, it turns out in 2009, a couple of commercial pilots took a nap at the same time and they overshot Minneapolis by about 150 miles until a cabin steward came in, woke them up, and said, are we supposed to be over Wisconsin right now, or where are we exactly going? Sometimes you wonder, don't you? Is anyone flying this plane? You know, the, the book of Daniel is really about answering that question. The reality is there are moments in our lives when we wonder, is anyone flying this plane? Is God really in control? God's promises are unfulfilled. God's plan doesn't seem to be working. And you wonder, is anyone flying this plane? The people of Israel were called and chosen people now, of course, they had a history of forsaking God and forgetting their relationship with him, but God had called them out of their slavery in Egypt. They had been there for hundreds of years, and he gave them the leadership of Moses to take them to the promised land. And there he established the people of Israel as a nation. And along came King David and King Solomon, and they built a magnificent temple to Jehovah, the creator God, in recognition of his everlasting covenant with his people. And for a time, they were a rich united and powerful nation but they drifted they drifted you know it occurs to me this morning there are people who are not in church this morning who were here last year but they drifted drifting is so dangerous and it's so easy in 722 BC, the tribes of the north fell to the Assyrian Empire. Basically, they were wiped out thoroughly because they drifted. Around 605 BC, the Babylonians conquered the Assyrians, and now they've moved in to conquer Jerusalem and the southern kingdom of Judah. 
King Nebuchadnezzar's armies of Babylon are on the march and they pillage and kill and rape and completely decimate the city of Jerusalem. The magnificent temple is stripped of all its treasures and they are hurled or hauled off to Babylon to be put into the temples of the Babylonian gods as the spoils of war. I suspect if this were a movie and you were the director, you would have the camera pan out over the, the, the Mount of Olives and then suddenly you would see the ruined walls of Jerusalem, smoke billowing up. You'd see fathers and mothers weeping and wailing at the great loss of life. And what's more, you would see a, a trail of humanity, prisoners walking, in chains, exiled, leaving Jerusalem, headed into a lifetime to a faraway land that they did not know named Babylon. The Babylonians, the Bible tells us, took the finest young people, the best looking, the most athletic, the smartest, the most noble, and they forced them to leave their homes. And the reason was simple. Babylon intended to make them, these Israelites, the people of God, Babylonians, to change them, to, to, to make them different. They're going to learn the language. They're going to learn the culture. They're going to learn to worship the superior gods of Babylon. And so they leave everything behind, family, culture, religion, identity and so the question has to be asked where's God is God at work at all now remember this is a nation that holds on to the memory of God's word and promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12 God said I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and then I will cause you to be a blessing Everybody on earth will be blessed through you. And so these people with that echoing in their minds and their history are looking at what's in front of them and they have to wonder, what's happened? They're in the tunnel of darkness and despair. There's no light at the end of this tunnel and they wonder, where is God? Now, of course, if you read the scriptures, you realize that there are many of these kinds of stories of tra tragedy and pain. I think of Esther and Job. I think of Joseph and Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. But you know, we have our own stories too, don't we? I see Renette this morning, Renette Biedka. Uh, during the holiday season, she just got back from Arizona where she was visiting her daughter, Hope who is in hospice care. Reality is she knows that she's probably said her last goodbye to her little girl, at least on this earth. This very week, I saw a relationship destroyed by infidelity. My wife has a coworker who came into the office this week announcing as she wept, she has breast cancer and the prognosis is not good. This is the world we live in. Sometimes we in churches tell stories and we get wrapped up in a nice little bow 
where God is victorious and everything is good and the problems are solved and life turns out the way we hoped. But you know the reality is not everybody leaves here with a grin on their face. It's easy to follow God when the circumstances are light and fun. But what's the answer to following God when life isn't like that? And it's not always like that. You know, Daniel was probably about 14 or 15 years old when he's ripped away from his home, when he's forced to go to this, this land that he does not know. However, I, I, I do see that Daniel is not alone. I, I find it very informative. He has three other friends who share his values, and they huddle together, and they support each other. Did you notice that they are all given new names? Now, I think if we think about that, that makes a lot of sense. as part of the immersion in this new culture of Babylon. Daniel means God is judge. And, of course, that is fitting. God's judgment has come. But he's given a new name. He's named now Belteshazzar. And you know what Belteshazzar means? May Baal protect his life. And I wonder if he thought, is, is, is this better? Is Baal better than the God of Israel? Hananiah, one of his other friends, his original name meant Jehovah is gracious. My guess is Hananiah was having a hard time believing that on that long trek to Babylon. His name was taken away. He was now called Shadrach, which means he who is in command of Aku, one of the gods of Babylon. Mishael, his Hebrew name means who is what God is. His life was supposed to be about discovering who God is, about knowing God. But that name was taken from him, and he was given a new name, Meshach, which means who is like Aku. His, his final friend, Azariah, his name meant Jehovah has helped. And he must have wondered, is that really true? The Babylonian said, it doesn't matter because your new name is Abednego, which means you are now a servant of Nebu, another god of Babylon. And so these young men are immersed even to their core identity. Everything has been stripped from them, their family, their language, their name. And so Daniel and his friends are put into a training program for three years to learn the ways of the Babylonians. They, in, the intent was is so that they would join the royal court and assist the king and the kingdom of Babylon. And, and if you think about it, given the circumstances, I, I guess that doesn't look too bad. When in Rome, do what the Romans do. And there are a lot of Christians this morning that I see who have made that decision, who have com compromised themselves in our world, and they, they just get along. They just go along with what the world does, and the world is quite happy to include them. But what I want us to see is in verse 8, it says this, Daniel resolved. Now, 
we talk about resolutions this time of year. Robbie, you mentioned it on the outset. I have resolved to lose 20 pounds, and I only have about 25 to go. <laughs> Doing pretty well. In the, in the midst of this difficult situation, Daniel looks at everything, and he makes a decision. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official, and the Lord gives him favor here with that official, for permission not to defile himself this way. Basically, Daniel says, you might give that rich food and wine to everybody else, but as for me and my friends, we'd like to do it differently. We'd like to, to just simply have a diet of vegetables and water. Daniel is trying to find a way to set himself apart. He, he's not afraid of being different, and they are different because they belong to God. And so Daniel says to this chief officer, hey, I have another idea for us four guys. We, we'd just like you to, to, to give us a diet of vegetables and some water. And finally, as they, they, they talk, the chief official relents and says, okay, we're going to give it a try. We'll give you a 10-day test to see whether this seems to be working or not. And wouldn't you know, and I think God is in this, after the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends are, are more vigorous. They're more healthy. They're robust compared to those who've been eating the food and drinking the wine at the t coming from the king's table. And, 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 and they're just better. And the chief official has to take note. And so much so that he puts the whole group on a diet of vegetables and water. Now, I'm not so sure that that made Daniel and his friends very popular. Now, this is not a call to vegetarianism, believe me. If you're a vegetarian, good for you, but I don't think that's what we're being told here. But there are some deep issues going on here that I want us to think about. Basically, God is showing Daniel it is possible even in exile, even when your life is turned upside down and it isn't going the way you thought it should go, to please God. It's possible to be faithful even in the midst of suffering and hardship and times when you just don't understand. Daniel takes a stand and he puts a stake in the ground and he says, this diet is going to be a reminder to us that whatever comes our way, in spite of everything else being taken away from us, I believe God is still in control. James uh, Stockdale, some of you might remember that name. James Stockdale was a prisoner of war in Vietnam, but I also remember him as the vice presidential candidate for Ross Perot way back in what, in the early 90s, I think it was. But James Stockdale, he served as a prisoner of war. He was in captivity for 2,714 days, the longest a prisoner has ever been held that we know. That's about seven and a half years. He writes in his book about different occasions when his captors would repeatedly shackle him and leave him out, for instance, in the burning sun for days, up to three days at a time, while the sun, and you can imagine what it was like in Vietnam, just blistered his skin. In fact, every time the man would fall asleep, they would beat him just to keep him awake. After one particularly difficult beating, 
Stockdale heard in the background a snapping of towels, which was a rather odd sound. At first he ignored it, he didn't think about it, but then over time he realized there was a pattern to the snapping. And with his training in Morse code, he began to recognize the letters that were being snapped out. G, B, U, J, S. G, B, U, J, S. God bless you, James Stockdale. He said that message made all the difference. Someone cared. And he was reminded that there was a God who was still in control and cared for him and could bless him even where he was. In verse 17, the three years are over. Daniel and his friends are shown to be the cream of the crop. They are skilled in literature and understanding and wisdom. Supernaturally, it seems that God has blessed them. Now, now soon, we're going to see, and we'll talk about this over these next few weeks, that there is a gap between what Daniel believes and what Nebuchadnezzar believes, and that's going to grow in these subsequent chapters. There are all kinds of these situations where, where there's going to be uh, some decisions that have to be made because... We're not on the same page with the culture. And yet these men are going to be called to be faithful. But this is what I want you to see this morning. In verse 2, it says that God delivered. Look at verse 2 again. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his, that's King Nebuchadnezzar's hand, along with some of the articles from the temple. Now, I want you to step back and realize what the author is telling us. The author here is giving us both the inside and outside perspective of this story. This is almost a, a rear view mirror perspective, if you will. Some, something those are, that are on the inside probably can't see. But the author here sees from the perspective of an outsider and he sees the character and the nature of God. The fact is that God was actually at work from the very beginning. It was not Nebuchadnezzar's might and power that overcame Judah. It was not the gods of Babylon that were in control. It was God himself who was allowing this to happen. It was in fact, predicted back in Jeremiah, for instance, chapter 19, verses 3 and 4. Listen to what the prophet wrote. He said, Now hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and people of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I am going to bring a disaster on this place, Jerusalem, that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. For they have forsaken me and made this place a place of foreign gods. They have burned sacrifices in it to gods that neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah ever knew. And they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. In other words, God says, they've gone so far, they've drifted so far away from me. They've gone toward other gods. They've even performed child sacrifices 
in my temple. And so the narrator is saying that from the very, very beginning, God was in control, orchestrating all these events. In spite of appearances, I want you to know this morning that God is in control. I don't know what's going to happen this year. I know this. God is in control. I don't know that maybe you need to hear this today, but you might need to hear that in your situation where it's dark and hard and ugly, the good news for you is the belief that you can't maybe see God at work right now, but because of the character and the nature of God, it's in fact impossible for him not to be at work. Daniel resolved to see God at work even when every evidence was to the contrary. I came across a quote recently from Dallas Willard that I found rather insightful. I don't always understand Dallas Willard. Usually he's way above me, but I, I did catch this. He said this. He said, God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. If we faithlessly discard situation after situation, moment after moment, as not being right, we will simply have no place to receive his kingdom into our life. God has yet to bless anybody except where they are. In other words, wherever you are today, whatever situation you're facing, that is where God will bless you. That is where God has you for a purpose and a reason. And so when we say, well, this situation is too hard, or I don't see you working, or I'm going to try to control it myself and do it my way instead of your way, we aren't allowing the full redemptive work of God to take place in our lives. We will never truly live in that moment of realizing God is up to something here. I may not see it clearly. It may not make sense to me yet. But God, I'm going to trust you. And if you look carefully this morning, it's not an accident you're here. It's not an accident that, that you're listening online. God's fingerprints are all over your life. Now, maybe you have to sometimes dust to see them. But God is working. And by the way, he is always working for our redemption. In fact, the entire book of Daniel is really about this question, who will save us? And it sets the stage for a savior the Messiah and so friends I, I don't know how your year is going so far in this room I suspect in the midst of your hardship or your disappointment or your confusion God is laying the groundwork for a savior and he always wants to move us in one direction and that is toward Jesus and so my question to you this morning as we begin 2024 is this. Would you be like Daniel and resolve, make the decision, I'm not going to drift. 
I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to be immersed in the culture. But God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to lean on you. I'm going to dust for those fingerprints in my life. And so in the good and in the bad, I'm going to trust you. Because I know you're at work in my life. Would you make that decision this morning? Lord, I believe right now in this room, this room is full of people for whom life is difficult. I think in some sense, Lord, I'd include myself in that group because, Lord, there are some moments of pain and hurt and distance from you that sometimes is just so confusing. The life we thought we once saw, maybe we don't see anymore. Lord, I pray for a new faith, a new energy to to be vital in me, to trust you more. And I thank you for the book of Daniel and for your reminder that in the midst of this incident, this event, that you were at work in the very bleakest of times in Israel's history and in Daniel's life. I pray, O God, we would have the courage to hold on and believe your fingerprints are at work. Your sovereignty is moving toward reconciliation and redemption. You are not finished yet. I pray that you would give us strength to pursue our relationship with you and we would live deeply in our ability to give every situation over to you and trust you that even when our lives do not turn out the way we'd hoped for, your goodness has not changed. That your love for us is not in question. That you will continue to work in our lives in a redemptive way. And in this world, Lord, continue to draw us closer to Jesus Christ. May we know his redemptive power today. I pray this in his name. Amen.